Don't miss out on your chance to listen to four-time Super Bowl champ Charlie Weiss on the only podcast solely devoted to everyone's favorite position in football, the quarterback. Listen for free now by subscribing wherever you get podcasts or by going to CelebrityQB.com. Welcome, welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Callender. i got a bit to discuss today heading into the Thanksgiving holiday, but uh, I want to start off with a topic theme for uh, this uh, edition, and that would be the fallacy of believing your own BS. And I say that because a lot of what happened in the NFL this weekend is coaches believing their own garbage and actually try to pawn it off to the press as if it's valid truths when in fact it's just their own egos getting crushed by the weight of reality. So I'm going to give you Exhibit A, and that would be Bill's head coach, Sean McDermott. Mr. McDermott, as you may recall from uh, my previous edition to the podcast last week, opted to bench his starting quarterback, Tyrod Taylor, in favor of of rookie quarterback Nathan Peterman, who no one has really heard of unless you really followed SEC football for failed Tennessee quarterbacks who then transferred to Pittsburgh. I believe it was Pittsburgh, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Pittsburgh. But regardless of that fact, you know, Peterman, fifth-round draft pick, by all accounts, seems like a nice guy. The issue being is the fact that no one in the Bills organization, it seems, from the players to the coaching staff, even thought a QB change was coming until it was announced late Wednesday, which usually means that you went through film review practice, you had a whole set of practice on Wednesday, but because Tyrod was still the starter, he was getting all the first team reps. You're also making a cross-country trip from Buffalo to San... Well, actually, sorry. I was catching myself saying San Diego. You're going to Los Angeles or where, wherever they're pl- shoebox they're playing these days. So you're going cross country on a West Coast flight. So that's an even longer trip out. So you have even less time to prepare. So you make this decision knowing full well that a the locker room's not going to like it, and b you got a rookie making his NFL start on the road, and the biggest thing an NFL rookie's going to be, be uh, bad at is actually recognizing coverages and blitz packages. And guess what? The Chargers are very good at rushing the passer and dropping back into coverage because they can, uh, they can actually uh, get pressure on the quarterback with Ingram and Joey Bosa. They both rush the passer quite well. So, it's it's not a good matchup whatsoever. I talked about this last week. So, needless to say, poor Mr. Peterman had an epic failure of an NFL debut. To give true understanding of how bad the performance was, he threw for 66 yards on 6-14 passing with, yes, five interceptions. 
Not one, not two, not three, not four, five interceptions before halftime. Before halftime. I literally texted, and some of you may recall, that I was almost certain this kid was going to throw seven picks before the end of the day. Even if they ran the ball, he was going to find a way to throw a pick. Even after the game, the Chargers talked about how they were disrespected by the fact that they decided to play a rookie on the road against them. But that's not the story here. Because we know he was bad, and he got made a national punchline. The story here is the inability of a head coach to accept responsibility. Because here's Sean McDermott after the game describing what he saw. So I'm going to play the clip because this one was a gem. surface you know 10,000 foot view hard to see that with the result being what it was when you take it one play at a time and you really look at it and say hey we're moving the ball and you know sometimes you got to throw and got to catch and so um, but again that's that you know I own the decision and, and that's on me pretty darn good some throws he threw for 66 yards what do you mean he was moving the ball down the field at first okay I'm gonna break bring this one back because I'm not even going to talk about numbers. You, McDermott literally played this off as if we're watching from the stands all above the sky, not knowing what the coverages are. We're watching on TV. We have HD. So if you're like me, you've got the NFL Game Pass. You can look at the coach's film after the fact and see the different coverages. You have the sky camp. We're literally watching over the entire play. We see what he can't see. Literally, he's not reading any of the coverages because that's what some of the throws are because you don't know where he's trying to throw the ball to. And even on the throws where you know he's throwing to, he doesn't see the safety sitting on the pass pattern. But he he, he had some pretty darn good throws. He had six completions. What? Do you, come on, man. I mean, if, if you're going to make up a story, just say he looked good in practice. I mean, we see the game tape. Come on. Anyway, this goes on even further because uh, he 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 he, uh, he stands by the decision, as evidenced by this clip. Well, sometimes you make decisions in in, uh, in leadership roles like this that work out, and sometimes they don't work out. And I think the biggest thing is you try and make every decision with with the right agenda, with the right um, decision-making process in mind. And that leads you to the decision that you feel is right. And that's what I felt like in this case. And I stand by that decision. Obviously, it didn't work out. Um, and so you go back, you learn from it. I learned from it as a head coach, and I expect us all to learn from it. We grow and we move forward as we continue to build. Yes, yes, we, we, we learned that you make up BS when you screw up royally and not just own it. That we all have to learn from your screw-ups. Okay, l let me set the agenda for Mr. McDermott here because he clearly seems to not understand his position in life as the Bills head coach. The Bills, just as a stating as a matter of fact, have gone 17 straight years 
where they have failed to even be above 500 after 10 games. 17. Interestingly enough, the team has now lost 16 games in a row where they had five wins and were above 500. So, 17 years without being above 500 after 10 games. 16 opportunities to actually get a win to go above 500 to break this streak. He had three chances. <laughs> yes, you blew it against the Jets. Completely, uh, you saw that there. Offense wasn't great. Defense was horrendous. There's no getting around that. Uh, absolutely. But here's the issue. Tyrod Taylor has still been relatively decent at moving the football. You then go ahead and get plastered by the Saints 47-10. to 10. Of course, part of this is your defense not being able to do anything to slow down an opposing offense. Part of that has to do with the fact that you decided to trade some of your best defensive players weeks into the season. So even before you had got, uh, gotten a full uh, view of the team, you had some teams, and then you still wanted to ship out guys like Marcel Darius for draft picks in the middle of the season. Not before the season starts, in the middle of the season. So you can't even bring guys on board that might actually be able to integrate into what you're trying to do. So... You downgraded your defense. You're still expecting them to hold them to a higher standard of what they could possibly be capable of doing. But you as a leader felt that this was the right course of action to go because of your agenda. But your agenda is to win games, right? So this is, uh, this is how we waffled to the decision today. Because the question was asked again. That what he was asked uh, about the decision. I don't, this is his official quote, I don't regret my decision. I regret the result. This is in part about winning now and in part about winning in the future. Again, there's no, there's two completely different styles there. You're either winning now or you're not looking to win now. You got to make a choice. If you're looking to win now, you play your starter. If you're looking to win in the future and you don't like your quarterback, guess what? You probably should have gotten Peterman ready to go at the outset of the season, but instead you were trying to do this half-assed, oh, let's compete. Oh, we're winning games. Now I can't play my guy. Now I'm stuck with this guy, and i got to wait for the safest opportunity to pull. If you're going to make a call, make a call. Because now he's gone back to Tyrod Taylor just because of the fact that he looks so... Uh, he looks so inept uh, in playing Peterman that he has no choice but to go back to uh, Tyrod Taylor. And oh, not for nothing, everyone in the locker room knows he's doing it because he doesn't have another option that he can go to. If he did, he wouldn't be saying that it's a week-to-week -week process with Tyrod Taylor. So Tyrod Taylor now has the joy of going up against the Kansas City Chiefs on the road, then a trip at, uh, back home to face New England. So in the next two weeks, Tyrod Taylor has to try to win a game or lose his job again. So he's got to do a road game against the Chiefs, and he has to try to beat the Patriots. Even if he wins one of these games, he still might not get to keep his job because, according to his coach, eh, we, we, we might actually have to win later. For a team that has not made the playoffs in 17 years. Sell that to Bills fans when you're a new head coach and that's how you want to do it. Because guess what? There are 
eight different coaches in the Bills in that time since uh, McDermott's gotten that job. And they all had their own theories on how to run a team. Guess what? They all wanted to win for the future, too. Guess what? None of them did. Next man up that I'm going to light into. Dolphins coach Adam Gase. The Dolphins have lost yet again. However, Coach Gase believes that Jay Cutler, even though they're four and six uh, in the uh, in the league now and have one of the league's worst offenses and one of the worst defenses, doesn't believe that uh, Jay Cutler has done anything to lose his job. So his actual quote, uh, even though he threw three interceptions on 12 pass attempts before mercifully exiting the game due to a concussion, whereupon the Dolphins actually got back into the game because they were down 23-7 to and actually made a game of it. Uh, they actually had the audacity to say that Jay Keller had not done anything to lose his job. Okay, then. Let's go look at the actual stats of the NFL QBR ratings. So the QBR ratings factors in your actual pass attempts, run attempts, penalties, uh, actual quarterback plays. Out of the 32 NFL quarterbacks who qualified for the QBR rating, Jay Cutler ranks at number 27. The only people behind Jay Cutler would be Joe Flacco of the Ravens, C.J. Bettard of the 49ers, rookie, Brian Hoyer, who literally just came off the scrap heap uh, to uh, because uh, he he hadn't actually run any plays, so Hoyer's not uh, is only there for uh, playing backup in New England. Trevor Simeon of the Broncos, which shows you how bad the Broncos are. Brock Osweiler didn't even qualify because uh, he hasn't had enough time to stink up the joint. And Deshaun Kaiser, another rookie. Granted. All of these are quarterbacks, QBR ratings under 37, league average, and this is league average, typically is 60 in a good year. This has not been a good year for the NFL. So when you're trying to say that he hasn't done anything to lose the job, you might want to actually look at some numbers because if you look at the Dolphins in terms of offense in the league, they are Bottom three in every category. Every category. Rushing, passing, points. Every every category you can name. We just had Tyrod Taylor bench. The Bills are at least, at least in the middle of some of those categories. Even though Tyrod Taylor does have the best QBR rating, guess what? He at least runs enough, so he's, his efficiency is at least moving the offensive turn of yardage and points. Jake Cutler can't even do that. And it's insulting to Matt Moore because Matt Moore comes back again in mop-up duty because he had to get his team back into the game, complete 17 of 28 passes for 282 yards and a touchdown. Doesn't even get a mention of having a possibility of starting. Meanwhile, Cutler hasn't even passed his concussion protocols yet. But yet still, Cutler's the guy. Hasn't lost faith, faith in him. It's it's incredible because the only reason why Adam Gase is defending Jay Cutler so much 
is the fact that when Ryan Tannehill, the actual starter of the Dolphins, went down with a knee injury in the third preseason game, Gates was the one beating down the door for Jake Cutler to come back from retirement in the Fox announce booth to pay him $10 million a year to do this job that he clearly had no interest in doing unless he was offered $10 million a year. If I'm Cutler, I can't blame him because, hey, it's $10 million a year. It's easy money. But if you're a head coach and you brought in your guy to run your system that you've uh, had him in before and he can't get the job done, at a certain point, you got to cut bait. But instead, he's willing to go down with the ship because he can't admit that he screwed up by bringing Cutler in the first place. So then you get these wishy-washy statements of he's, he hasn't done anything to lose the job when every statistical category shows Jay Cutler is not an NFL QB anymore. Moving on, because there's only so much time I can do uh, spend ripping on NFL coaches this week. There, there are more I could rip on, but we're, we're, we're already 15 minutes in. The Seattle Seahawks. Pete Carroll, who oftentimes come, uh, comes across as the, I would say, smart smart kid in class who tries to rub it in your face of how smart he thinks he is by playing it off that he's not smart, but he, he thinks he's smarter than he actually is. So, he is a smart guy. He just isn't the smartest guy. The smartest coach would be Bill Belichick. P. Carroll thinks he's the smartest Bill Belichick. That's not even remotely true, but he believes it. So you get weird scenarios like you have Monday night with the Seahawks. The Seahawks are attempting a 35-yard field goal. There are seven seconds left to go in the first half. Instead of just kicking the field goal while they're down seven, just to make it a four-point deficit at the halftime, the Seahawks decide to run a fake field goal to their tight end, who instantly gets blown up. Now, mind you, I said this was a 35-yard field goal. Listen to Coach uh, uh, Carroll as he tries to explain away the decision to go for uh, the fake field goal. Would have been a really good call if he made it. You know, it was something we saw we wanted to do. Terrific opportunity right where we wanted it. And, and uh, uh, they, the defense tackle made a better play, you know, got in the backfield. He wasn't supposed to be there. What was the logic behind it? Did you expect them to, to open to score a touchdown on that? Or just, you know? We had a chance to. We, if not, we'd run out of bounds and stop the clock. We knew exactly what was going on. Um, we, you know, we figured we are going to break it. It was a matter of giving ourselves another shot. If you don't score, keep it. If not, get out of bounds. Luke knew. Okay, if he had a shot to score, we'll take it. If not, get out of bounds. There were seven seconds left on the clock. Now, Luke Wilson, the tight end in question, who caught the fake uh, shuttle, uh, shovel pass uh, to run for the uh, first down or score a touchdown in Coach Carroll's mind, is 6'5", 250. Although, to his credit, he does run a 4'5", 40 back when he was drafted in 2013. Hence, the, I would say, uh, emphasis on the 2013 part. So, we're in 2017, obviously. Now, Luke Wilson's still a pretty fast guy. I would say fast compared to a tight end. Because in the NFL world, a 4-5-40 means that you're about in the bottom half of the league in terms of overall speed. 
because most NFL uh, players run under 4-5 at least 65% of the time. Above 4-5, you're talking about tight ends, linemen, and Tom Brady. So when you come to that realization that the plan was for him to run for a score or run out of bounds, that would actually imply that he's fast enough to catch the ball round the corner past five other defenders, get to the outside marker, not get tackled by the DB on the other side of the field that goes unblocked, that's trying to chase him down, that runs a 4-4 or less, and somehow that was magically going to result in a score, or he was going to run out of bounds before getting tackled inbounds with seven seconds left on the clock when he has to round around everyone, which would take at least four seconds off the clock before he even got to the outside. So basically, Luke Wilson was somehow supposed to run a 4-4 time to get to the outside to run out of bounds for the extra two yards to get a closer field goal than 35 yards because somehow he needed extra yards for his kicker, who's supposed to be an NFL kicker that kicks average field goals of 40-plus yards normally. Okay. Pete, I, I would just like to say that it's probably best when you come up with explanations like that that you stop talking because the more you actually try to explain away that one, it the less it even makes sense. You, you're asking a guy to try to run faster than he can actually run to beat defenders that are faster than he is to get to the outside so you can give your kicker three yards or somehow he's magically going to score a touchdown by running faster than everyone else. I, I love that logic. Best part about this game was the fact that this game actually came down to a 52-yard field goal his kicker had to kick, and he was actually short on it by four yards because Pete Carroll, once again, mismanaged the clock at the end of the game, so he didn't have enough time to run another play to get it closer for his kicker, so he left it short by five yards. It, 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 it made such enjoyable television because, again, sometimes when you think you're the smartest guy and you screw up, if you don't actually count to it and just say, hey, I screwed up, that's on me, and come up with a lousy explanation, then I have to nitpick everything that you said because clearly you don't want to just say that you screwed up. Which, again, it's not the easiest thing in the world to say, but at least you come off sounding less ridiculous than saying, would have been a great play if it worked, when logistically nothing about that play could work. Unless the entire team fell asleep and tripped over their own shoelaces, that play was never going to work. Anyway. Now that I've spent over 20 minutes ripping on NFL coaches for their stupidity, I will finally get into the games uh, coming up uh, starting tomorrow because uh, uh, we're going to have to get off to an earlier start uh, because we've got the Lions and the Vikings uh, kicking off at 1230. So uh, we're going to get to the picks right now uh, with the point spreads uh, immediately. So first game of the day, we got the Vikings at the Lions. Uh, Minnesota's coming in favored at two and a half. The way I kind of look at this is the Vikings, eight and two, honestly look like the best team in the NFC North by far. I'm still not sold on them being the top team in the NFC 
overall, but you know, I, I I'm giving Case Keenum a modem a modicum of credit because he's doing everything that he needs to do not to lose games. He's getting a good rushing attack from both McKin- uh, McKinnon and uh, Latavius Murray. Uh, uh, I'll get into the fantasy dilemma between Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon as well for DraftKings to FanDuel, but uh, it's it's tough to actually uh, say that, uh, you know, as the road dog, uh, I mean the road favorite uh, to take the Vikings at two and a half, I'm going to do it just from the standpoint of I've been, uh, I've been dogging the uh, Lions the entire year. I don't have any confidence in their offense, but in terms of the actual uh, game itself, I think this uh, this ends up being a pretty close game throughout. But I, I do see the Vikings pulling this one one away, so I'm gonna give I'm gonna give them uh, the benefit of the doubt here and say uh, that uh, this should be the Vikings game. Although it's just gonna be one of those games where it's gonna come down to uh, the fourth quarter. I'm going to give uh, the Vikings the edge here, though. I, I just think they're the better team. You should be taking them uh, overall just because I don't see enough variety out of the Lions offense that leads me to believe that they're going to have any sustained success against the Vikings defense. So uh, I would take the under, uh, which is uh, 44 and a half, and uh, I would take the Vikings. I, I just think this one where, you know, the Lions played them hard, but I don't see them uh, being able to uh, win this game at home. Next game up, we got the Chargers and the Cowboys, which is a very interesting one to say the least. Because I'm not a fan of the Chargers, but uh, especially when I got a West Coast team uh, tra- traveling uh, to the East, uh, especially in a short week. But here's the dilemma with the Cowboys: the Cowboys have not shown that uh, they can run the football without uh, uh, Tyron Smith as left tackle. I, I mean, it's it's coming up time and time again. I mean, as much as Ezekiel Elliott's been missing, uh, has uh, uh, has messed up the dynamic of the Cowboys, uh, Tyron Smith being injured has completely blown up that offensive line. So what was once a strength for the Cowboys has become weakness. So uh, Tyron Smith looks like he's going to go. I mean, the Cowboys are a dog here. And, I, you know, they're a dog by a half point. I, I have to take Dallas to win this game. Uh, I mean, Chargers 4-6, and six, Dallas 5-5. Five and five. I mean, obviously, Dallas is a different team without Zeke. They haven't won a game yet without him. But I can't I can't take uh, uh, the Chargers here as a favor on the road, too. Uh, they're not that good. Uh, even though they had the performance against Buffalo, that was because Buffalo screwed up by starting a rookie. I, I got to take, uh, take the Cowboys here uh, to get a win that they desperately need because the Cowboys dropped this game. They can uh, they can pretty much kiss their playoff chances goodbye. I know people have been already writing them off. I still think the Cowboys have an outside shot of making the playoffs, mainly due to Seattle uh, uh, screwing the pooch Monday night and uh, dropping that game to the Falcons. Uh, I think that's the biggest reason why the Cowboys uh, end up making it in. But uh, I say to get the win tomorrow. And then the nightcap, we've got the Giants and the Redskins. You know... Every time I want to write off the Giants completely, they find new and innovative ways of making me tear my hair out. So uh, the Giants should have been dead and buried. Uh, they got no chance of making the playoffs, but now they have a chance of screwing up their own draft positioning by winning five games this year if they put in some effort, uh, which is easily possible uh, given the talent that's still on this team uh, on the defensive side. So 
I mean, the, the Giants on the road, uh, seven and a half dogs, uh, seven and a half point dogs. Uh, my my issue here is the Redskins are in a must-win situation. I just don't think they can cover seven and a half unless the Giants just don't show up for this game. Now, originally, my uh, hypothesis was the Giants roll over against KC, show up for the Thanksgiving game against the Redskins. Now that they actually pulled off a win against KC, I'm not entirely sure what Giants team is going to show up this week, which is infuriating because I would say you have to take the points with the Giants. It's just that I have no confidence in the Giants. The thing is, what I know is, based off of the talent of the two teams and the injuries the Redskins have, I have no confidence in the Redskins actually being able to uh, put together a solid enough performance to actually cover seven and a half. So uh, Jordan Reed's out for the Redskins. Uh, you know, I look at this and I'm, I'm kind of scratching my head because, you know, it, it, it's it's a tight one where I, I could see this being a game where we get the under again. Now, if Washington uh, puts it together and the defense of the Giants just decides to roll over in the second half, yeah, they can they can cover this one easy because the Giants' offense still uh, has no semblance of any order outside of Eric, uh, Evan Ingram uh, 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 making the making the catches and Sterling Shepard has been suffering from migraines, so he's still on the iffy side of playing tomorrow. Uh, that's something I'm still going to be keeping an eye out on, uh, and as well as everyone else should for fantasy purposes because there's no lock that uh, Shepard's going to go uh, tomorrow night, so I would. Uh, Keep him rostered on your bench for now, and then play by ear uh, uh, by the time uh, tomorrow night rolls around, by the time uh, Turkey gets served, because you should hear by 6.30 if he's playing or not uh, for tomorrow. Now, moving on to the Sunday games, uh, we got the Bears at Philly. Uh, Philly should take this one. Uh, Issue being, can the Bears cover 13.5? I say no. I think Philly covers this game. Uh, next up, we got uh, Ryan Fitzmagic and the Buccaneers versus Atlanta. Atlanta favored by nine and a half. I just think that's way too generous. Uh, Atlanta really couldn't guard uh, uh, Seattle, and Seattle's a limited offense. I think Mike Evans has a big day here. Uh, Atlanta wins the game, but I, I just think that nine and a half is a big margin to ask uh, the Falcons to cover. Uh, I, I think uh, you at least get a, some semblance of competitiveness from Tampa throughout the game. So uh, I think that game ends up being a, a bit closer than people give it actual credit for. But uh, Atlanta pu- uh, pulls that one out. It's just a matter of uh, what the final score ends up being. And I, I just think that uh, uh, you get you get enough of a cover from uh uh, Tampa, where they actually make up the points. Next tricky game, uh, Carolina at the Jets. Uh, Jets are uh, the underdog here, four and a half points. By all logic, Carolina should cover this game and win on the road. Issue being that I have no confidence in uh, Carolina's offense. Yes, they had a big game uh, right before the bye week against the Dolphins. The Dolphins are lying uh, lap dogs at this point uh, from my standpoint. So that's one of the reasons why I can't take them. But I, I will get into some reasoning later on uh, why you need to pay attention to the injury report. So stay tuned for that one. Uh, but, you know, I'm not impressed by 
Carolina until they actually show that they can come off the bye week uh, and actually put it on the team. Uh, the Jets have at least been competitive throughout this year. I don't think they'll win this game, of course, but I do think this game ends up being a field goal difference. So I, I like Carolina to win, but I do think the Jets actually cover the four and a half. So uh, as to the underdog. So uh, we'll go with the Jets there. Uh, moving on, uh, we've got uh, a matchup here between Buffalo and Kansas City. I already talked about the fact that uh, Sean McDermott screwed the pooch with uh, the Bills season by starting the rookie. He gave away a game that they couldn't afford to give away. And now Tyrod Taylor's got to try to save his job against a Kansas City team that just got embarrassed by the Giants, come back home, and they're going to be hungry. This is not a good matchup for the Bills. I think Kansas City covers uh, the 9.5 point favorite, and I think they roll with this one. I I just don't see... uh, the Bills keeping up uh, with Kansas City. I think the Kansas City simplifies the offense, uh, get, uh, gets it back uh, to stretching the uh, uh, passing routes down the down the seam. I think you see a lot of Travis Kelsey. I see a lot of Tyree Kill running down the middle of the field, and I don't think the Bills can actually ke- uh, keep up with them. So I, I like Kansas City to win big on that one. Uh, next up, uh, you got a forgettable matchup between uh, the Titans and the Colts. Uh Jacoby Brissett is still not cleared yet for a concussion protocol. Uh, I'm, you know, even after the Colts coming off of the bye, I'm a little bit hesitant here because, uh, you know, it's a deceptive record that the Titans have. They're six and four yet their points against uh, overall points for and against are actually trending negative. So they've given up more points than they've actually scored this year. They're not that good of a team. You know, if Brissett's healthy enough to play, I actually like the Colts uh, to win this game. Even though they're a three-and-a-half-point underdog, uh, I actually do like the Colts to win this game uh, if he's healthy. If he's not healthy, then, uh, t- uh, I mean, you got Scott Tolzien playing. Uh, I mean, that's an automatic win for the Titans. So, I mean, this game is wholly dependent on <laughs> if Jacoby Brissett's even remotely healthy to play. So, uh, I would play by ear, but uh, I'm for now I'm going to go with uh, the Colts. Then we have our matchup with Mr. Brady and the Patriots hosting the Dolphins. Now the line on this one is 16 and a half points for the Patriots. The only reason why the Dolphins would actually cover this game is just due to the simple fact that the Patriots released today that Tom Brady has an Achilles injury that he's uh, he's day-to-day on. Do I believe that Brady's going to be fine for the game? Yes. Do I think New England's going to go out of their way to protect Brady in this one? Yes. So I think New England gets out to a lead, they hold Miami down, and then they coast to a victory. I don't think they're going to put Tom Brady in any danger with the Achilles. They're going to let him play, uh, get to what they need to get done here, get the W, and salt the game away. If Miami comes back and covers, that's it's gonna be fine by the Patriots. So I would say uh, I'm, I would obviously pick the Patriots to win this game. I just don't think it's a lock that they cover the 16 and a half points, uh, just because of the standpoint of I think they actually call it a day early and just pack it in. And I think uh, Miami gets a uh, some garbage points uh, to uh, do a back end cover at the very end. So. I would actually take the points with Miami on this one just from the standpoint of, uh, you know, if uh, the injury reports on Brady are true, and 
uh, you know, I got to think at his age, yeah, the Achilles might actually be an issue. Uh, they're not going to risk uh, playing him too long in this game. So if he shuts down the third quarter, that makes it really hard for the Patriots to hold him. Unless, of course, Jay Cutler decides to come in and throw four picks uh, in that game and you get a pick six, which is entirely possible with Jay Cutler. You never know. Uh, next up, we got the Browns and Bengals, the Battle of Ohio. Oh, man, this is this is tough. This is a tough day for Ohio because if Ohio, I mean, uh, the whole world of, uh, of the, the whole world for uh, the people of Ohio basically rests with Ohio State. So, uh, I mean, no one's really going to honestly, no one really cares about this game outside of Ohio. But uh, the Browns are uh, the underdogs uh, going into the Bengals. Uh, so the Bengals have to cover eight and a half. I mean, there's nothing about the Bengals that interests me whatsoever. The Browns are putrid, but, you know, at the end of the day, the Browns have have been in most of these games. So they pushed Jacksonville last week. And, I mean, if you're pushing Jacksonville, yes, Blake Bortles is a terrible QB. Andy Dalton isn't that much better. So I think the Browns' defense actually keeps them in it. Uh, so... Do I think the Bengals win this game? Yes. Do I think they cover eight and a half? I think that's a, a bit of a stretch to ask them for. I think they win by a touchdown, but I can't give them any more points than that. So I got to take uh, uh, the Browns in terms of the points. Next up, we've got uh, San Francisco hosting Seattle. I already talked about how Pete Carroll gave away the game Monday night, so there's no need beating that horse. The question is, uh, is that uh, Seattle's favored by six and a half. So... Do the Seahawks win this game on the road by six and a half? Yes. Do they look entirely impressive doing it? No, but I think they get the job done here, and uh, they get the six and a half, and uh, that per, uh, should be uh, well uh, leave well enough alone. But you know, my my take on this though is that San Francisco keeps this game more competitive than people expect, so I think Seattle's going to have to battle for it, but. You know, I can't say that in a must-win game uh, at this point, Russell Wilson's not going to be able to win win that game convincingly in the fourth quarter. So I'm going to give Seattle benefit out here. I think they win uh, this one uh, uh, by at least a touchdown. So uh, they get the win there. Uh, next up, you got Arizona hosting Jacksonville. I mean, surprisingly, Blaine Gabbert played well for Arizona. Uh, but that's by the meager standards by which people judge Blaine Gabbert on. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Jacksonville didn't play great against uh, the Browns, but they got the W. I still think that defense is more than enough to terrorize Blaine Gabbert into making some terrible decisions. Uh, you know, people could make the argument for uh, Blaine Gabbert in a revenge game against his, the team that drafted him, Jacksonville. Uh, I just can't buy into that narrative. Uh, so I'm going to take the uh, Jags to cover the four and a half uh, as the road favorite. And then uh, uh, we've got uh, in the late uh, segment, uh, we have Oakland hosting the Broncos. Uh, I didn't even get to the Elway comments, uh, actually. I, I, I spent so much time bashing other people in the NFL that I didn't even get to John Elway calling his own team soft when uh, the Broncos' problem is the fact that they've got three QBs, none of whom can actually play quarterback, and John Elway is the guy who drafted all three of them. 
So, you know, there's that. I, I mean, Ella can call his team soft or how they didn't respond well to the bye week, but the end of the day is the Broncos were a fairly flawed team from the standpoint of uh, they didn't do much to solidify uh, defensive replacements. They let T.J. Ward go into secondary, which was a huge loss that they never uh, adequately addressed. So now teams can throw on them. So the no-fly zone, you can actually fly in these days. And, you know, that's all on Elway's watch. So, you know, and he threw his own team under the bus. So I actually like the, uh, the Raiders here. Even though the Raiders were completely listless in uh, Mexico City Sunday against the Patriots, I think they come back rejuvenated. Marshawn Lynch was the only person who looked alive last week. So I'm actually going to give benefit of doubt of the Raiders to to actually cover the five and a half points here because Paxton Lynch is going to be starting for the Broncos. And my issue with Paxton Lynch is the fact that he's been in the league uh, two years now. And if your competition was Trevor Simeon, and Brock Osweiler, and you still couldn't do enough to differentiate yourself as a QB compared to those two guys, you got a lot of issues to deal with. And uh, your long-term success is highly unlikely. And that's not to say that Paxton Lynch is a bad guy at all. By all accounts, it looks like he's actually genuinely trying hard to do what he can do. But the uh, statistically, it's borne out over the course of uh, the NFL history that QBs over the, uh, uh, over six six in height have not done well in the league historically. You, you know whether it's just from mobility standpoint, just how long it takes for the arm angle release point. Uh, you know you would think that by being taller they could see over the field, but it it hasn't really translated that way uh, in in league history. So you got two guys on that roster. Uh, over 6'5". So, Brock Osweiler is 6'8". Paxton Lynch is 6'7". I mean, these are both first-round picks uh, by uh, John Elway. You know, it's his... It's on him. I mean, that's the end of the day. Brock Osweiler was drafted to be the guy to replace Peyton Manning. That failed. And he left. And he failed elsewhere. And he came back because John Elway didn't want to admit that he was a failure. Paxton Lynch, the guy L.A. picked instead of uh, Carson Wentz. He could have traded up for Carson Wentz. It's well known that the, that pick was available to anyone who wanted it, and L.A. did not want to give up the assets to trade up for him, and so he took Paxton Lynch instead. He he favored Lynch more in the draft. He even said as much. It's on him. So if it doesn't work out, again, John uh, Elway John is a Hall of Famer. He can say whatever he wants. He's already won a Super Bowl as an executive. So, you know, he has that trump card. But at the end of the day, if his uh, uh, if his holding card is that because he's a Hall of Fame QB, he's a great evaluator of quarterback talent, it hasn't worked out so far, well so far for him because he's 0 for 3. But we'll see if uh, Mr. Lynch uh, uh, rewrites the history book so that he's only 1 for 2. So, uh, needless to say, I'm sticking with uh, the Raiders uh, minus five and a half uh, to win. I- I'm just not taking a rookie again. Starting on uh, well, he's not a rookie, but it's his first NFL career start. Uh, well, no, sorry, second career NFL start. He started uh, started one before and it did not go well. So I forgot about that game last year. Anyway, we're gonna go into uh, the game that was not. 
originally supposed to be the game of the week, but, uh, you know, circumstances happen. If NBC had a chance to flex this game in for their Sunday night game, they would, but it's say la vie. Uh, you've got the Rams hosting uh, the Saints. Uh, Rams favored by two and a half. Uh, you know, this is an interesting one because the Rams defense is good enough to shut down most running attacks, but uh, New Orleans actually has a unique offense where they can run the ball between the tackles with Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara, and Kamara is good enough as a pass receiver that he can split out wide and cause havoc for teams. I mean, basically, Alvin Kamara is a younger version of Darren Sproles, but he's got an extra 20 pounds and 2 inches on him, which makes it that much harder to bring him down, and he's... Uh, uh, as a result, he's a bit more durable. So, uh, but uh, not near, not as fast as Sproles, but just a, uh, just as deadly effective in the out of the backfield receiving. So, uh, makes it a, a bit of different dynamic for uh, the Rams to actually have to cover. Uh, I'm very curious to see how this one goes because, uh, from my standpoint, I kind of want to pick the Rams, but you know, it is a hard hard bet. Uh, to, uh, to go against the Saints after that comeback last uh, week they had against uh, uh, the Redskins because the Redskins had them dead to rights. And sometimes when you have wins like that, you get enough under your sail uh, that you know what you did wrong last week and you kind of focus on what you did right uh, uh, to carry into the next week. And I think this is one of those games where, yeah, they're on the road and people aren't expecting them to win this game. And, you know, again, realistically, I would normally pick the Rams here, but I actually like uh, New Orleans to, to pull off the upset here. So, uh, you know, uh, so obviously I got to take uh, New Orleans in the points, but I, I'm very curious to see how this game uh, plays out because, again, the, uh, the Rams, uh, if, if they, if they want to win this game, they're going to have to stop uh, New Orleans from running the ball and make it a passing game with Drew Brees, which is very <laughs> ironic to say considering it's Drew Brees uh, that we're talking about here, one of the all-time completion leaders. So, uh you know, I'm gonna take a, I'm gonna take Breeze and the Saints here. Uh, I'm curious to see how, uh, in terms of uh, the Rams, how they adjust to the loss of Robert Woods. Uh, we're gonna get to that into that uh, from fantasy perspective uh, uh, coming up in the next edition of the podcast because, uh, you know, with Robert Woods injured uh, for the next couple of weeks with the shoulder, it's gonna be on Sammy Watkins to step up and actually deliver. And the one thing that you can say about Sammy Watkins uh, is that consistency has never been his strong suit. So uh, he's been consistently inconsistent. So uh, I'm going to go with uh, the Saints here uh, just from the standpoint of I'm I'm curious just to see how uh, the Rams go about stopping the Saints. I'm I'm not convinced they can do it. So I'll I'll get, I'll give it to the Saints, but under normal circumstances, uh, if a seven to three teams hosting, uh, uh, another team, I gotta give them uh, the respect that they hold serve, but uh, I can't do it for the Rams in this case. Sunday night football, we've got the Steelers and Green Bay. Yeah, for those of you who have heard me uh, just completely slag on Green Bay for tanking their entire season because they ha- had no backup, reliable backup options for Colin. Ka- I mean for. Aaron Rodgers getting hurt and refusing to even bring Colin Kaepernick for a workout. You know, it's a it's such a Green Bay thing to do, but they deserve every brutal loss they can get. So, 
I mean, they won last week because the Bears were incompetent. But, you know, it is what it is. I'm taking the Steelers here to cover the 13.5 point favorite. I mean, the Steelers show up in prime time. Uh, I still say that if, uh, and it's probably too late now, but in most leagues, I would still say you, you're better off trading uh, Antonio Brown. Even though Mike Tomlin uh, mentioned that Juju Smith-Schuster has a slight hamstring problem, uh, I still think that there's a possibility you see uh, some vultured uh, points from Martavis Bryant. Uh, I just don't see uh, where Antonio Brown puts up the production that he did last week against the Titans. If he proves me wrong, he proves me wrong because I love A.B., but uh, if we're talking from a fantasy perspective, uh, being realistic, it, it's just unlikely he's even going to be coming close to that production the rest of the way uh, this season based off of the Steelers' schedule. Uh, on Green Bay side of things, uh, you know, you can wait until Aaron Rodgers comes back. There's, n- I mean, Green Bay is 5-5, five and five, but they have no shot of making the playoffs. I- I'm, I'm confident in saying that. Uh, just from the standpoint of there's nothing in Brett Hundley's game that has shown me that he's ready to actually take that next step. He's made a couple of decent throws, uh, but if I was here to try to praise Brett Hundley, I would sound like Sean McDermott because, uh, yeah, you could say he's made some nice throws, but the bulk of his work shows that he's inconsistent in reading coverages and throwing anything beyond the 10-yard passing route. Uh, he can hit. He can hit guys down the sideline, because he's made two or three of those throws, it's just that he can't do uh, he can't throw a consistent deep ball, and that's what's holding back uh, the the Packers offense. Because Jordy Nelson has dropped off the face of the earth because he's looking for a deep ball that Hundley can't throw, so he can't throw a deep slant, he can't throw a deep out. So Jordy Nelson, I mean, has gone irrelevant. I mean that that's why Devontae Adams is taking over because he can hit that underneath uh, crossing route an intermediate route. That's a much easier throw for him, and that's why Devontae Adams has been getting the targets, whereas Jordan Nelson's been uh, on his own island on the outside of uh, the field. So, anyway, we'll, we'll get into that for uh, uh, DraftKings and the FanDuel coming up uh, in the next edition of the podcast when I go through the lineup. So, uh, the finally, the last game of the week, uh, Monday Night Football, we've got the Texans going up against the Ravens in what has to be one of the worst quarterback matchups of the year boy I mean because you know I thought uh, when I thought about it I thought it was gonna be Blake Bortles and Blaine Gabbert but seeing how it's Tom Savage and uh uh Joe Flacco uh, you know I I I am so hesitant to take yeah I'm so hesitant to actually make an argument for either side here just because this is going to be a terrible game to watch. I I, I just have no confidence in uh, anyone being able to get a, an enjoyable twenty minute stretch out of watching this football game. I'll watch because you know that that's that's what I do. But you know, I, I just I can't really I can't really make a recommendation to watch this game. The only thing I can say is that uh, I expect uh, you know Baltimore to win this game. Uh, their secondary should be able to uh, victimize Tom Savage uh, just in uh, the same way they did to uh, Brett Hundley uh, uh, bef- uh, before. But, uh, I mean, I-, I just, I really can't say anything nice about this game. Uh, it's like Joe Flacco 
is going to throw a bad interception. Tom Savage is going to throw a bad interception. I mean, you're you're going to get Alex Collins running the football. I mean, there's maybe we'll see Danny Woodhead because uh, at least it'll, it'll be nice to see Danny Woodhead uh, on the playing uh, playing field again. But I really have nothing nice to say about these teams, so I'm going to leave it at that. So <laughs> even though it's not the most graceful exit to uh, the show, uh, I'm going to wrap it up there. A uh, couple of things coming up but in tonight's matchup. So, uh, yeah, uh, on the NBA front, uh, you've got uh, the Celtics uh, trying to extend their winning streak to 17 games. Uh, you know, they're playing the Heat. Uh, you know, I, you know, with winning streaks like that, it, it, it's a very dangerous uh, circumstance where you can kind of get caught up in it. So, yeah, they should be able to beat the uh the heat, but you know, I wouldn't be shocked if they if they lost on the road uh, in Miami. You know, the Heat's going to be up for this game. It, it, I think it's nationally televised. Uh, actually, no, it, it probably wouldn't be nationally televised because of the Thunder uh, uh, Golden State game. But you know, I think it's a big enough game that the Heat don't want to be uh, one of the teams that gets knocked off on this winning streak. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if the Heat jumped out early. And then just kind of kept the consistent lead and held off uh, Boston. But, you know, if, if Boston uh, plays its game, yeah, they should be able to beat uh, the Heat. It's just the fact that I, I kind of look at this and this is like one of those lazy trap games because you're right before the holiday and, you know, they, 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 they could get caught here. I mean, a 16-game winning streak is nothing to sniff at. And now people are talking about the – uh, 19-game winning streak that they uh, is their franchise record. Uh, I, I just think, you know, this is one of those trap games. So, I, like I said, I wouldn't be shocked if uh, they actually went down tonight. Uh, the other marquee game people are talking about is uh, Kevin Durant. Is he going to play? Is he not going to play uh, against uh, uh, the Thunder in Oklahoma City? You know, he could play. It's just that, uh, you know, with the ankle – is he going to be 100%? I don't think so. I think he's going to force his way into that lineup. And, you know, whether he plays well or not, he's going to play. Uh, he, I just think that this is one of those games where, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook is going to go off because he is that petty. <laughs> I, I mean, I shouldn't say petty. That, that's probably not the best word. He's that vindictive. <laughs> that... He knows Kevin's got the ring. He doesn't, and he's gonna want to take it to to Durant. There's no question about it. So uh, I look at that game, and I and I kind of see it as one where, yeah, Golden State's gonna want to try to win it for Kevin, but I I, I wouldn't be shocked if uh, Durant tries to go, uh, doesn't really get uh, doesn't really get into the flow of the game, and then they uh, they they kind of get caught up in trying to make it uh, make it for Kevin to win the game easier so they kind of get out of sequence offensively. But anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, uh, I So I'm actually going to – if I, if I was going to bet on the, uh, the scoring line, I would actually uh, pick, the, uh, pick the, the Thunder to actually cover the spread because the spread was around uh, – I believe it was five and a half. So like I said, I, I actually like uh, – uh, Oklahoma City to actually uh, pull off the win here. Uh, I mean, they're at home. 
the the Warriors have a, a couple of issues that they're battling through here. So I I actually like Oklahoma uh, City to pull it out. And uh, you know, finally, locally, we got the Knicks uh, back in action against uh, the Raptors. Uh, you know, I've liked the way the Knicks have been playing. I, I honestly, truth be told, I, I thought this team would win twenty games at most. So I, you know, anything the Knicks do uh, this year is a bonus, just because from the standpoint of we actually have ball movement on this team, and yet you, you have a bit, uh, you have a bit of a. A swagger to the team. They actually stand up for themselves. So we'll we'll see how the uh, the Knicks uh, fare tonight. Uh, I would uh, I wouldn't be shocked if uh, t- uh, Toronto uh, pulled off uh, beat up, beat the Knicks in the Garden. But you know, at the end of the day, the Knicks are not necessarily about winning this year. It's about developing a core team that can you can work with uh, work with uh, Porzingis going forward. That he would actually be entertained. Uh, interested in sticking around long term with the Knicks. So, uh, anyway, uh, that's that's all I've got for now. Uh, so I'm gonna wrap up uh, for tonight. Uh, well, wrap up for now. I'm gonna take a quick break uh, to get some dinner before uh, uh, the game start, and then I'm gonna go into the uh, FanDuel and DraftKings uh, lineups uh, for uh, tomorrow's game since uh, we got an early kickoff at 12:30. So. Uh, that's all for now until I come back on later tonight. talked about position in all of sports the quarterback and now there's a show solely dedicated to the most sought after role on the field celebrity qb featuring four-time super bowl champion coach charlie weiss unlike other football shows you'll get the inside scoop on all things quarterbacks like is this the year tom brady finally looks his age will dating danica patrick distract aaron Rodgers? i mean he's dating danica patrick charlie we're interested in that you know well i mean tommy's got giselle i'll I'll take giselle okay (laughs) is dak prescott good enough to win a super bowl for the cowboys which rookie quarterback has the best shot of making a positive impact in 2018 how about intellectually, Charlie, as far as what they ask the quarterbacks to do now? The game has changed, but the pressure that's put on quarterbacks and it always been put on quarterbacks is tremendous. Join Charlie Weiss and co-host Steve Strout on an all-new podcast from Lasting Media, exclusively about quarterbacks. Subscribe now at Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Celebrity QB, everyone's favorite position.